Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to Reconstructed Faith. This is episode two. And after our first episode, just kind of doing a, a general introduction, introduction to uh, our hosts, Chris and Chris, and then also an introduction into why we're doing the podcast. Uh, we think it would be really smart, <laughs> really smart. <laughs> we think it would be a good idea, though, to step into kind of a, a definition series mm-hmm. because we're talking about a lot of words that can be misdefined or defined from individual to individual, it would be good for us to kind of set a foundation to lay a foundation for what, where we come from mm-hmm. as we're, as we're unpacking this. So yeah, Chris, do you, Chris share it. Do you want to, you want to talk about what we're going to be talking about during this episode? Sure. Well, <clears throat> the big issue that to clarify for most people is when we say Christianity is true, um, what we mean by that is not subjectively true, personally true, although there is always a subjective part of your faith. But what we mean is whether or not I believe it, it is actually true. Like it's objectively true outside of me. Um, and what what I would say is it's the best explanation for the way things are, um, the origin of the universe or design or life or meaning or morals, whatever. Um, but again, and this is why truth and faith go together, that we're not saying Christianity is true because I believe it's true. In other words, my, my, the amount of faith I have or my personal convictions or whatever have nothing to do with whether or not it's true. And, uh, the thing about Christianity is it's, um, it's an evidential faith. Um, it's verifiable, but it also means it can be disproven. Like what we're Mm -hmm. saying is there's a, a real risk there that we actually could be wrong because my personal feelings don't, don't make it right or wrong or true or false. Mm-hmm. And so I think defining point. what we mean by Christianity is true, um, what do we mean by that would be a good uh, definition. Yeah, that's great. Before we jump over to you, Chris, my question is, have we always dealt with a lot of this, uh, well, truth is actually subjective, or is this like a recent phenomenon, and why is why is like the whole idea of, well, my truth now such a popular thing? Is that like a generational thing? That'd be a great we ought, we ought to get Mark Leg, a philosopher student, mm, in here yeah. sometime to talk about the history of epistemology. So, um, before you think we've now gone over into a medical world about you know urinary tract stuff, epistemology <laughs> is actually the kind of the art and science of knowing what is right or knowing what is true or even knowing what is knowable. Right. And so it's an important concept when we're talking about this. What what is knowable? And so the the question, what is knowable? has been around for a very, 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 very long time. It's essentially, some people would say, the, the first philosophical study was epistemology. What can we know? What do we not know? That's one. So, yes, the conversation has been going on forever. But most of history, as I understand it, again, a good philosophy student might correct me on this, mm-hmm. is that the, this, the generalized understanding was that there was such a thing as abstract, objective, disinterested, external truth. That you Meaning can know. That you can know. There are things out there that you can know, and and you can also be wrong about them. Like, there, there's such a thing as wrong. And so whether it's basic, mm-hmm. like, mathematical 
true, statements of mathematical truth. So any given statement, so when Chris is saying Christianity is true, he's kind of saying Christianity makes a series of claims, and each of those claims is a statement of truth. And truth just means accurate. It it doesn't mean anything more than this is really what it is. This Mm -hmm. is accurate. Um, Corresponds to reality. There you go. Corresponds to reality. This is what is. This is as it is. And so... Um, and, and you can be wrong about it. Yep. And that's a, that's a big, big conversation is to, um, it's to make a truth claim, as Chris just said, is to also make the claim that it could be, what I'm claiming could be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. It could end up being not true. Um, and which is a fascinating that very often in scientific circles today, Christianity gets criticized for making claims that can't be verified um, and that's just, it's just not accurate. There are certain claims Christianity makes that can't be verified in a lab or in a test tube, right. but that doesn't mean that they can't be verified or disproven. Um, and we'll get to those, I'm sure as we get, to, when we get to Christianity, which, you know, given, given the three of us at the table, maybe eight, eight weeks later, <laughs> but, um, but this idea, so, um, to jump into the conversation, does that, does that sound right? Does that answer yeah, the question? I, I think it does. Yep. I mean, people have been, is, is it, I, gosh, see, this is when I need the professional handy. Is it Descartes who had the, I think, therefore I, think I am? Therefore I am, yep. And that's the, uh, that's one, of, that's a question of epistemology. What can I know? Who am I? Do I exist? And how would I know if I exist? How would I know if I don't exist? I mean, right. those are the fundamental philosophical questions. And his answer, at least what he gained comfort in was, I'm asking the question, therefore I must be here. Right. Yeah. Like if, if I wasn't, okay. if I wasn't here and there wasn't such a thing as truth, I wouldn't be asking the question in the mm-hmm. first place. And that's, which is kind of cool, um, good way of thinking. Why don't you unpack for a second? So you mentioned epistemology; it deals essentially with how do you know things, and so the different categories would be. Okay, can we go through those? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't. I never know what order to do them. I'll do them in kind of an order of modern popularity. So the first one is empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, empirical evidence is that something is knowable because we can repeat it. We can show that the same thing happens every time we do something or every time we ask a certain question, we get the same answer every time. It's often people shorthand that as, quote, science. Um, It's very, I will tell you, I think for most students of truth, no matter what field they're in, the fact that science is just a term is, is kind of embarrassing. I think most serious scientists are embarrassed by the idea of, well, science says, science is not a causational Power. It science says nothing. It, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't do anything. It's a theoretical way of learning information. The As word a, just means knowledge. That's right. It's mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's such a great um, for Christians. It is so sad and frustrating how uh, Christians have a. I developed at some point a knee jerk response to the idea of science or scientific knowledge as a negative. Like oh well, science says this, but Christianity says this, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think that's just a, there's a silly, I don't know what you're, you've, t- you've taught on this, like historically the scientists throughout many eras of Christ- of, of humanity oh, yeah. were Christians. Exactly. Well, I think that we partly created the dichotomy ourselves where we made it sound like you've got to pick between the two. And I think it's because we became intimidated by, I don't know, maybe over the last hundred years, what scientists were saying, their interpretation of the facts, but we began to be like, Again, taught like, well, that's the enemy of your faith or it right. goes against your faith. And I would just say it's it's a way of knowing. Science is Absolutely. awesome, but it's just one way of knowing. You can't – so another way of knowing could be um, intuition. Like intuition. You just, you just know, you know, torturing children for fun is wrong. Right. Like, you just know that. And we haven't ever gone in the lab and said, let's, you know, prove this with the right. scientific method. But 
anyone who would disagree, you're like, something's wrong with you. If you, if you don't see that, right. and we would use that word, see it. Like, can yeah. you not just see it? And yeah. so that's another way of knowing. And that's that's a real one. It gets poo-pooed in some circles sometimes, but um, Sam Harris, who is who is always an atheist, who's always in a search for an objective standard of morality that right. doesn't involve God, um, has written some brilliant stuff, and he's come as close as I think it's possible to come. Um, well, I think it still fails, but I think he's come as close as he can come. And there was a great interview with him when someone asked him, like, okay, but Sam, when you say what is the greatest good for the greatest number of people, who decides that? Like, mm-hmm. who decides that this is wrong? So if you say, well, but I I think most people like torturing people. I think they, most people like that. How do you know that you're not the one who's wrong about that? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you? And Sam goes, you just know. Exactly. Like, I should, I, if I have to explain that to you, there's something wrong. Like, right. Because intuition is a source of knowledge. Yeah. As Christians, of course, we would say that's intuition can be uh, an aspect of general revelation that God right. has revealed things through that. Mm-hmm. I've said with uh, in regards to intuition, when an atheist says, "What what would cause you to disbelieve?" and I will tell them, "Here's what I suspect the pattern would be." We'll get to this when we get to faith, but and that the last one would be my intuition, because my intuition tells me this all matters. Like I'm I'm unwilling to accept the consequences, the intuitive natural the consequences of us just being complicated amoebas is not something I'm willing to accept because Mm -hmm. then my love for my wife is just reproductive drive. Mm -hmm. My love for my children is just DNA preference. My love for my friends is just herd mentality. And I don't buy it. I don't, I don't know how you could possibly sell me that this stuff doesn't matter. What we're doing right now is just us enacting an overly evolved brain capacity that we don't know what to do with. So we invent podcasts to, (laughs) to pretend like it has meaning. And yeah, I'm just not willing to, I mean, that would be a hard one to push over. You could push over all the others. That would be a tough one. Yeah. That's very mm-hmm. real. Anyway, so sense. we did empirical evidence and intuition. Okay. Um, let's jump to history. Um, history is a source of knowledge, and that is what has been passed down mm-hmm. as, as accurate and real. Um, this is what happened. Um, there was a guy named George Washington. Right. There was a person named Augustus Caesar. Like, these are... Those happened. There really was a battle of Bunker Hill. And we would say I in that category is eyewitness testimony. Right, like right. that's how you know it's because well, people were there, people saw it. That's how we know. Right. I wrote never, about it. Yeah. The evidence is they saw it. Mm-hmm. Like they acted though they saw it. The thing the things they did next in their life would indicate they really did experience that. Yeah. Um and so that falls, that passes down historical knowledge. I think it falls under authority mm. knowledge, actually, true, is where yeah. historical is now that I'm thinking about it. I think it's Authority slash historical. Okay. Um, and and here's the thing, we we trust. So a lot of people also be very dubious about that one. Which I can. I mean, spoiler alert. We're going to get to the end and discover humans aren't great at any of these. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just we are the fly in the ointment. We're the monkey in the wrench. I don't think that's correct, but the, whatever <laughs> it is, the the uh, uh, so that's going to be that's that's us. We're going to mess each of these up. Something happened. Eyewitness testimony isn't awesome. You can YouTube uh, all kinds of fun experiments to see how that's proven. However, think of how often we rely on this as a source of truth and knowledge. So when I get home, my wife's saying, oh, we had a tough day today. Is, is I either accept that or I don't as knowledge. That mm-hmm. is either a statement of fact and truth or it isn't. Even if it's just her giving me her perspective on truth, which we'll talk about that in a minute because an accurate statement, either she did or she didn't. In this case, probably only she knows. But that's a that is a statement of authority or history. Is this what happened? And so 
it's it's really wild. This one this one people throw away very quickly when the truth is we rely on this for everything oh, right. as a source of knowledge. Mm. Uh, okay, so that's so that falls under authority, authority or slash history. history or historical knowledge. And then uh, off of that would be what your wife just said, eyewitness. I'm sorry, personal experience. Like right. how, how do you know that you had a bad day? Well, because I'm the one who experienced it. Or how do you know what you had for breakfast? Well, I'm the one who experienced it, so I, I just know. Right. Yep. So that's the fourth one, or is that? No, that falls a, under a, still okay. under authority and history. Okay. The, that personal, I experienced it, or intuition, or or whatever. But then the, the next two reason mm-hmm. um the that we can rationalize things we can think through things that, that okay well that has to be that way because that's the only way that that makes sense and that's like descartes saying i think therefore i am mm-hmm. well that doesn't make any sense that i'm not here if i am experiencing being here that's illogical right um reason actually has more and more anciently tested rules than empirical evidence does so we we teach empirical evidence very often in the schools as though it's the most trustworthy because it has the best rules. But the truth is there are fan. I mean, the, the reason actually has more rules engaged with it. When you hear logical fallacies or things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and not to, again, not to sell anything else, but on YouTube, there is a star Trek cartoon explanation of all the major logical fallacies really? where Spock explains to a different star Trek crew member, <laughs> the logical fallacy they've made. And they're just pure gold. Okay. They're like two two minutes each, and yet an intensely deep, difficult concept is unpacked beautifully, just in a, in a few seconds like that. So yeah. okay, that's pretty. It's worth. That's watching. good. I'm we'll we'll put that in the show notes. Oh, there you go. That sounds good. I okay. would add another book. Uh-huh. I mean, if you want to read a book on yeah. the two, uh, J.P. Moreland YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, J.P. Moreland's book, "Loving God with All Your Mind." Yes, actually teaches you how to think logically. Like this is what a syllogism. Like it's like this this, therefore this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great book. So where would like, when you're, um, when you're looking at prophecy. Okay. We got one cross- more. Okay. So, okay. Never mind. Yep. Number five is. Go ahead. Re- Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. Unpack that one. Or you want me to do it? Uh, you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a good job, right? Yeah, keep yeah. going. Okay. <laughs> so revelation is, is statement of truth, accurate statements that we get from God. Um, now again, like with all of them, the flaw is not in the statement. It's not in the theory. It's in the receiver. Mm-hmm. So we are flawed receivers of God's input. If we were perfect receivers of God's input, then Revelation would honestly, obviously be the best source, which is why Christians, for example, especially evangelical Christians, spent a lot of time studying and, and digging through, and honestly, let's be honest, tearing at and tearing apart Scripture. Um, it, always, it always cracks me up when people will say like that we're not... You know that we're we're not we're too trustworthy of it, or we're not sophisticated enough, or oh my gosh, there there's probably not many verses in the Bible that have not had doctoral theses written about that verse, uh-huh. and every single piece of it. It's there's so much great material out there that it states shows exactly the opposite. We are the most, maybe more than any other, gosh, anyone of any time. I would pit Christians as. Uh, not each not each individual Christian, of course, but in Christianity as a whole, as being uh, digging so deeply into what we consider to be God's word. Um, it, 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 we're doing it right now at this church where we're we're going to teach First Peter in a year. I mean, it takes thirteen minutes to read First Peter, and yet we're going to spend you know fifty sermons, fifty forty minute sermons on it. That's mm-hmm. clearly we're not afraid of it. We're digging into it and yeah. asking questions, and that's not that's not uncommon. In Christian churches to do that right. kind of thing. So, 
revelation, material that we get directly from God. Okay, great. So just unpacking these are, yep. what would you call these? Like five? Five sources of knowledge. There five sources of knowledge. Five, and this is all under epistemology? Yep. Mm-hmm. These are the most five commonly taught. There's a few outliers, okay. but these are the ones generally that are taught. Empirical evidence, intuition, authority slash historical knowledge, reason, and revelation. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you for unpacking that. Yeah. And reason, reason is the one that gets... Uh, ignored a lot now, and that the sci- the modern scientific community is actually really honestly just kind of throwing under the bus. Why? Um, because it's not scientific. Oh, um, just in its nature, like how you prove it? The irony of? is the, the Dr. Tysons of the world who talk about empirical evidence as leading to conclusions. No, no, we know this. Mm-hmm. Reason and philosophy, you're always still just asking more questions. You never reach any conclusions. That's his, his critique of it. When the, tr- the truth is, empirical evidence was, scientific reasoning was actually created. One, based on reason. There's no such thing as scientific evidence without reason. Um, the whole concept of science is based on reason. Because you can't scientifically prove that the scientific method works. Or that um, it's the only source of knowledge. And you certainly can't prove Yes, it is actually illogical to say it's the only source of yeah. knowledge, since you can't use it to prove it exists. Yeah, That's one of the rules of logic is... Uh, self, self-refuting self statements must be false. So if I say, no sentence has five words, mm-hmm. well, that's <laughs> has to be false. By I definition, it, right. it, it falsifies itself. I can't speak a word of English. That's right. Um, uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. That's a self-defeating statement. Yeah. If it's true, then it's a statement of absolute truth, and therefore it is false. Yeah. Um, that's one of the rules. Well, the statement, the only source of knowledge is empirical evidence, is a self-refuting statement. Unless you can prove with empirical evidence, that empirical evidence is the only source of knowledge, and you can't. Right. Therefore, it's a self-refuting statement. Yeah. It's, so this is a big conversation that yeah. people aren't just aren't having very well nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, going back to even science and empirical evidence, the... When we say science, we're talking about knowledge. It's an ally for truth. It leads you to, to truth Absolutely. and point to that. But the problem is that's science as methodology. Right. Science as philosophy ends up being arriving at the right kind of answers. That's right. So if you're going into this saying we can only come up with materialistic explanations for this, well, you're not, you're biased. Like you're already, you're saying I already know or we can only arrive right. at and so now you're you're dealing with science as your philosophy of knowledge versus we're arriving at knowledge, but we've so, got to have the right. So is kind that of why? So is that where when you hear the idea of science versus Christianity in our culture right now, is right. that typically what you're hearing? Like less about the method and more about the. I mean, not not necessarily not necessarily less about the method, but more. Gosh, philosophy. Yes, honestly, the main thing you're hearing is ignorance. Okay, um, <laughs> when you hear that phrase, either on the part of the of the secular scientist, mm-hmm. or I wish this wasn't true, on the part of the Christian. Um, so it, it is. It is so often the idea is that that the purpose of science is to undermine Christianity, or the purpose of empirical evidence is to. It goes back to what we talked about. I think our first podcast that reason, that that faith and evidence are somehow contradictory. Right. And we'll talk. We'll unpack that more with our next one. But that's just not that is not the Christian way of thinking about things. It's bad enough that the secular world wants to think that way. We have got to stop buying into that. Yep. We don't believe that. There's no. There's only truth. Yeah. And true is true, or it's not true. And it's that's a concept. When we say truth, that's what we mean. A as Chris said, something that aligns with reality. It is. It is an accurate statement. 
it can be about something that is personal. It can be, if I say, I like the Beatles better than the monkeys. Well, that's, it's either true or false. I'm the only one that knows. Right. Um, it's well, not, clarify that because what that means is that's a subjective statement. Right. Which means it's about you, the subject. Right. Not the object. So that's maybe yeah. to, maybe to dis- distinguish those unpack two that. things. Unpack that. Unpack it a little bit. Okay. So if I had a jar of M and M's right here, and I said, "Let's let's guess how many M and M's are in here," and you give a number, and you give a number, I give a number. It's that's your subjective opinion about mm-hmm. you, the subject. I think it's this, but there is actually an, a correct number of how many M M&Ms and M's are in mm-hmm. the jar. Mm-hmm. So it's objectively true. If I said, "Now each of you write down the best flavor of ice cream," and we all wrote that down. That's subjectively true. It's true about you that whatever you were to say. And so the the problem is a lot of people when they say, when they think about um, statements like that, everyone thinks in the world and even a lot of Christians that it's all, everything's, you know, ice cream versus right. M&Ms in a jar. Right. And so that's the problem that we're having is that a lot of people are, are making statements that they're saying, well, personally, I think that, so for example, I saw someone or heard someone on a, on a radio show call in and say, well, I have a personal, they might've said religious conviction that life begins at conception. And I was like, you, you don't have to use those words. You don't have to say it's personal, just me, my faith. It's like, no, the, the objective facts are this life begins at conception. So that's where now, again, I can have a subjective faith about that, or that can be the way I was raised. It just, it goes along with the, the evidence. But I think a lot of times Christians think like that, that, that my faith did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, that's just me personally, you know, believing right. it versus Paul made it a big, in fact, every major sermon in the book of Acts mentions the resurrection and the phrase that you hear all through the New Testament, uh, sorry, all through the the new church there that's growing was we are witnesses. Right. Like I'm verifying it as a way of knowing that I can tell you I saw it myself. So they weren't saying Jesus rose from the dead, just have faith. They were saying, like, come talk to me about it. Like, I can tell you. I'm appealing to the fact that we saw this. Um, that was, even at Pentecost, Peter's argument was, we know David, where David was buried. He's still in his tomb. Right. And we all, and this is right around where all this happened, just weeks after it happened. But there's an empty tomb that we can all go look at. It's verifiable again, right. I guess. That's right. Yeah, that's... It is important to understand that is what Chris said about Christianity is right, is that we are we are one we're asking gosh, I would say the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians fifteen almost begs for it to be disproven. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, please, hey, if you can if you've got the body, bring it. Yeah. Like I would love to see it. I'd love to know. Because if if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're we are to be the we're the most humiliated people in the world. I mean if you can even write, wrap your gosh, we're getting off on the whole concept of Christianity and belief here. Well, but, no, keep going. Um, but just a couple of words. If if you can imagine being a Jew, and your whole religion is based on the idea that the, the Lord our God He is one. Mm-hmm. That's what makes Him so special, makes us special, and He chose us. And then to say, and He is three, and Jesus is God. I mean, it would sure be a whole lot. Of, if if you're if we're wrong. If, if there is no Christianity, if Jesus was not the Son of God, Yahweh is probably not pleased with us. <laughs> I mean, we are the ultimate heretics. Yeah. If, if there is, And Paul grew up his whole life with this belief system, and yet something convinced him this is not—the the truth is something more than that. And he's, he's happy to be—listen, 
I, I'm just telling you, because Paul didn't, as far as we know, did not see the resurrected Jesus in, in, the, in the flesh. Right. But, but he says, man, there, there's these 500 people who saw him. And I, I assume Paul would talk to several of them. Like, so you're, I mean, really? Mm-hmm. Come on, now's the time to tell me the. I mean, Paul may have questioned some of them under torturing. This yeah. is the apostle. This is when Saul, Paul was Saul. He may have gotten to hear Christians under torture refuse to back off of their beliefs. Mm. And man, that would be that'd be pretty convincing when someone's not willing to bend on that. So, yep. Anyway, I I think I think there are verifiable things. I agree, and I understand the frustrating with frustration with some modern skeptics that the most potent things that would disprove Christianity are in the past now. Um, it would be hard to show up with Jesus' body, even if the Romans or the Jews or the Christians somehow hit it. It's, I mean, it's probably too late now. Yeah. Um, and I get that. But it certainly could have been snuffed in its infancy. But that's when we're talking about truth, we're not saying this is, this is my opinion. So this is one of the wild things, is that we used to have words that broke down this concept of truth. That if I said, my favorite ice cream is, you know, whatever is butter brickle, that is a statement of truth. There's an accurate statement there. I am aligning with reality, assuming that I'm not lying. You know, what's your favorite color? Right. Did you yeah. know I was going there? Blue. No, pink. Ah! <laughs> Monty Python fans out there. Yeah. The, um, as long as I'm telling the truth, it is the truth. Right. But, but we have a word. We had a word for subjective truth, and we called that opinion mm-hmm. or preference or viewpoint. We had a word for that. That wasn't minimizing the concept. It was just giving a definition to the word, a personal subjective statement of truth. I like that dress better than that dress. I, I like that song or that musician. It is a true statement. Um, it's not a lack of truth. But but people, I think the problem is, too often nowadays what we're dealing with, is that people have expressed their perspectives on something and felt not listened to, so they're now ref- they're having to come up with stronger language to call it, but that's like, they'll say, that's my truth. And it sounds very dismissive to say, I mean, we have a word for that. It's called experience or opinion or perspective or viewpoint. And that sounds dismissive. Um, I don't have a problem with people calling it my truth, as long as they recognize that it's not an objective standard. It's not a, it's not an absolute truth. Um, and that's what we mean when we say truth is it's verifiable. It is, um, it's something that we can defend and we all, gosh, and even, even just, we deal with the problem of language so badly that we're using language to describe something that is transcendent of any given language. And that creates problems for us too, that I don't want to get off on too far. But you, you, I don't remember, you might've talked about this when you went through the book of John, but I would love to have known the tone or the expression of Pilate's face when Jesus said, for this reason I was born, right. to testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and then Pilate goes, what is truth? What is truth? And I would love to know, like, was he skeptical? Was he like, well, what is truth? Like, I really want to know, oh, yeah. or is he cynical, or was it, you know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. it's like the truth that's in front of you. Yeah. But I just have always wondered, like, what what did you mean by that? When, oh, yeah. When you said, well, what is truth? I, I've, I always pictured as a skeptical, but that's... Yeah. The rest of Pilate's life certainly indicates he didn't learn anything from that experience. <laughs> right. But but I think there's a, I've always pictured him as going like, eh, what is truth? Right, right. Yeah. Oh, what is truth? It's kind of like the, um, uh, remember in the Matrix when he does the, when when Morpheus says this is meant to hide you from, to protect you from the truth or to hide you from, hide from you. I've like, never seen the Matrix. Truth. You've never, 
You've never seen The Matrix I, either? No. Oh my gosh, we've got to watch like 20 movies with you. That's going to be a whole new podcast. Is evaluating <laughs> all the movies Colson's not seen. Oh my gosh. Oh man, um, that's another podcast for another day. But wait, there, there are people that will listen to this who know what you're saying. So, oh, yeah. I, I, well, so he says, yeah, what truth? What truth is the response that he gives back? And that's when he says the truth that you've been lied to, the truth that's, that there's pulled a over your eyes. that has been yeah. pulled over your eyes, a lie that's been pulled over your eyes. And so... Um, which is ironic statement, a lie, a, 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 the truth that you've been lied to. The truth is you've been lied to. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a powerful picture. But I think, I think as unwrapping that, okay, so I want to, um, the idea of an accurate statement that could be disproven, the idea of something that aligns with reality. Um, when we use the word truth, that's what we mean. So if, if meaning we're inviting, uh, disagreement, yeah. we're inviting, okay, if you've got evidence to the contrary, we'd love to hear it. Um, one of the hardest, and actually, I'm I'm not a super emotional person on stage. One of the hardest, most emotional moments I think I've had in a sermon was turning to my children and saying, "You need to believe the truth, whatever it is, even if it's in opposition to something I say. Mm-hmm. Like if it's opposition to what you've been taught your whole life, if you learn that it's not true, don't believe it. We we worship a God of truth, yeah. and if it's if something that I've taught you or that you've learned in church isn't true, don't believe it." And that's I feel always safe saying that we are we are seeking truth, because we we claim to serve a God of truth who wouldn't want us to believe a lie, no matter what it is. But we also need to unpack, without going into too much detail, the world, the word worldview, because that's going to come up. So I'd love, Chris, this is kind of an area of, of Chris's expertise. I'd love to hear his thoughts on worldview. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What do we mean when we use that term, or people mean? So my, my basic definition is a person's presuppositions about reality and morality. Like, that's my really, right. that's my canned explanation. So what I mean by that, people have called your worldview your vision of life or uh, your basic assumptions. But I always try to compare it to, it's like we're all wearing glasses. And so you're viewing the world through your worldview. And the thing that happens a lot is people, we're always thinking with our worldview, but not about our worldview very much. And so this, I think, plays into the the unquestioned answers thing we talked about last time, that um, if you've grown up in the church or grown up in whatever religion, you just have a basic way of assuming and interpreting an experience. Like we prayed and there's an answer, like something happened. And then, well, well that was God. Uh, interesting mm. story. One time I, I had a, um, a, a thing that I'd been praying about a car when I was in college and a really cool provision. And uh, I was telling that story and the reply by one of the people here in the story was, well, that was lucky. Mm-hmm. And so again, his, his pre, presuppositions about reality were like, well, miracles don't happen. Right. There's not a God who does answer prayer. So that was just luck where my, my worldview would interpret it saying, well, that was clearly God answering my, my prayer. So it's your, your presupposition. So again, pre meaning beforehand that you already bring to the table. And I always like to remember and remind myself the idea of a completely objective scientist coming into the lab with no presupp. It's like, Everybody brings your presuppositions right into it. Again, it's just a matter of are you aware, aware of it? 
are you honest enough to say like, now I, I could be wrong or I could be thinking this the wrong way or whatever, but it's your basic way of viewing the world. Yep. What would you, would you, I love the example. I think you're the first one I saw do it. Although I'm sure somebody came, somebody else, probably one of those things you probably saw when I was like, that'll teach with the glasses, the different color glasses. Yeah. Did you come up with that or was no, that no, a student of mine? I think at Liberty university, he'd gone off and had a teacher do that, but I did it last week with a forge and it actually worked. It doesn't always work. <laughs> Wait, always, can you, can yeah, we describe it? Yeah, yeah. Can we describe so, it? um, I would have, I've, I was talking about worldview and I put on red tinted glasses and explained like what that means is now everything that I'm seeing is viewed through these. And so everything has a tint to it. I see everything red. Um, and I had a, I asked a student to put it on and then put a slide up that had um, words, but some of the words uh, were in yellow. So the rest of the class could see those words up there. But for some reason, red tinted glasses cancels out yellow on a screen if it's a white background. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, I had words up there like truth or moral absolutes or God, whatever. And he couldn't read it. And so my point was that the way you view the world can also eliminate, you can't see some things or you, you refuse to see some things or you won't see them because of your, your worldview. In other words, if I go into the lab already assuming I know there's no, I already know there's no God, then that right. takes away some of the questions I can actually ask. It's like a, a, you know, a, a police chief telling all of his crew, like, "Hey, we got to solve this crime." But already, just so you know, we already know it's no, it's no one on the force. It's n- it's none of us in this room. You'd right. be suspicious. You're like, well, first of all, why are you already assuming that? But what that means is you just eliminated a whole bunch of questions we can ask, and it also means I can't follow the evidence wherever it leads, right. because because of the rules you've already set up. And so even going back to science, if you're defining science as only the right kind of answers, right. your worldview, if that's your worldview, that it's got to be empirical evidence, is the only way of knowing. Well, that means you can't say, well, it really, in all other areas of life, when we see this much intelligence or order or design or complexity, we assume there's a mind behind it or whatever. But I can't, I can't ask that question. So that's where your worldview can actually um, limit what you can ask. Mm, absolutely um, yeah which is i mean you can see how that's going to keep you from certain options it's a um one of the things that i've run into and you and i know you'll hear me talk about you guys have but the um trying to get invitations to free thinkers associations and no one will let me come yeah which doesn't feel very free thinking to me right um i think i think that's part of the problem is that is that more and more often those types of things just aren't they're not reality there's not a there's not actually a free thinking going on, but they don't realize that. And I think that's one of the things, one of the, I guess for lack of a term, advantages that that good engagement with these conversations can have for somebody is it is important that we know our own presuppositions. Yeah. Um, it was a, uh, a, a, that idea of the glasses that Chris did when I was teaching it to a group of, of ladies, I had them do math questions um, on the board and but I had them having wearing different color glasses. And so they kept coming to different answers and they were all getting infuriated. I mean, frustrated with like each other. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Wait, what do you mean this? That, okay. I said 15 and you said a thousand and 15. Well, this lady couldn't see plus 1000 as the last step in the uh-huh. puzzle. And she's like, where are you, what are you guys? And I mean, like literally people's moods and temper were starting to flare up and I had them take the glasses off. And <laughs> it's just because you, your glasses didn't allow you to see the information that you needed for, for that step. And it's, it is, it is, that is a, 
it's part of why I listen to multiple podcasts from different perspectives because um, it is it is so hard for me to wrap my brain around the different worldview. And we're we're super divided as a nation right now mm-hmm. down this line. Mm-hmm. Um, the question of worldview, and we're actually I'm teaching a seminar in a few weeks actually on the fact that I think our worldview is shifting in in America. We've the Judeo Christian worldview has been the dominant cultural worldview at least for as long as America's been around. And then what happens when that shifts? It's dom- not just that there, there have been plenty of other worldviews, but the dominant worldview shift. And that's, yeah. I'm fascinated in, to see what that means for a culture. In the past, when that kind of thing happens, it's ugly. I mean, you see revolutions and civil wars and, and that kind of stuff happen, rebellions. And it's just to see a, a worldview shift. I don't know if, if, if the world is at a place yet where a worldview can totally shift dominance without um, some pretty horrific consequences or not. We'll yep. see. But it's, it, it's this stuff we've been talking about in this little defining section about what we mean when we say the word truth, um, personal versus repeatable versus reasonable. And you'll notice if you listen to almost anyone talk about truth, they'll start dividing it up. Mm-hmm. And whether they know it or not, they are dividing it based on those, usually those five sources of knowledge. And they're minimizing one or two of them and maximizing one or two of them. Yep. And they don't know that's what they're doing because they're not trained in epistemology. And so they're just like, no, this is... Whether it's, you know, Ken Ham talks about uh, two different types of like scientific knowledge, and what he's doing is dividing up epistemology, or Dr. Tyson, who does the same thing, dividing into two headings, and he, it's still divided down that mm-hmm. same path, and he's just saying, this is, the, this is the right one, this is the dominant one, this is the good one, and, you know, and they get mad when, when, when everybody else does it, they get frustrated with it, but everybody does it. Everybody divides, because it has to be divided out, and it's and just th- old theory. Yeah, but I think even if you're talking to people, defining terms is always helpful Oh my gosh. because if I'm saying faith and you're saying faith and we mean something, you mean blind faith and I mean intelligent faith, then we're not going to, we're, we're going to be missing each other. Right. So sometimes it's helpful to go, when I say truth, just so you know, I'm not saying it's true because I believe it's true. I mean, it's objectively true. Mm-hmm. So that might, that might help sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Good. And, and I think because I, and as we get kind of further along in this defini- definition series in the beginning, these are words that we're going to be using a lot. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of the, the purpose for the podcast. Yep. So that's great. If I could just add one thing, I, what I think you'll find since you mentioned worldview is when you hear someone who, for example, if their worldview is they're a humanist or um, atheist, there's no God. And so we, you know, we're just evolved in things like that. When they actually spell out, this is, so this is what this means. It really sounds depressing when they actually oh my gosh, follow gosh. through. So listen to this. This is, um, William Provine, atheist. Um, I've heard him in debates before, Bill Provine. But here's what he says, and this is this is a helpful reminder. He says, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the end for me. And then this is the sad part at the end. He says, there is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning to life, and no free will for humans either. Mm-hmm. Which is always funny when you think of going to the free thinkers. It's like, oh, well, yeah. if you listen to some of these people, they're saying you actually don't have a free will. And right. the only reason you think you're a free thinker is because it was programmed in your DNA. But That's right. But when you hear those descriptions, he's not being a pessimist. He's being honest. Like, this is where this worldview will take you. If there's no God, then there's no purpose, there's no ethics, there's no meaning, there's no value, and you're actually not free. 
And, and again, people don't like to live that way. And so that's right. where they borrow, I, I would say, from our worldview, meaning or yep. human life having value or purpose or, you know, stuff like that. But if, you're, if they're being honest, this is the way that it goes. Um, your description of, of where, you know, logically where it ends up. I think, I think Francis Schaeffer called that taking the roof off. Yep. Or you, you follow, okay, let's take your worldview, your statement there, and like let's follow the logical conclusion of, of the road that that goes down. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.